0: You're listening to SoundBites, a podcast by the Arkansas Philharmonic Orchestra to share, inspire, and empower our classical music community here in Northwest Arkansas and beyond. My name is Urjean Kong, your host for the podcast and concertmaster of APO. <laughs> My guest today is Benjamin Hughes, principal cellist of the BBC Concert Orchestra, who is in great demand as a chamber musician and performs regularly with the ensemble Fibonacci Sequence at prestigious venues such as the Wigmore Hall, King's Place, Conway Hall, the Hollywell Rooms in Oxford, and the Australian Festival of Chamber Music in Townsville, Australia. He appears regularly on BBC Radio and Television as a soloist with the BBC Concert Orchestra, and is equally at home playing Bach, Bartok, or Brubeck. Ben studied at the Birmingham Conservatoire, Hochschule für Kunste in Bremen, Germany, the Eastman School in New York, and the Royal Academy of Music, where he now serves as professor of cello and orchestral studies. Ben, I'd like to first ask you, at what point uh, you were first captivated by classical music and or the cello? And uh, a second sub-question to that is, how have you dealt with, let's say, low points in your relationship to the cello and to classical music? Because as we know, it's a
1: difficult journey. Sure. Urging. Well, thank you very much for asking me to speak on your podcast. It's a, a real pleasure to do so. Um, regarding your first part of the question, with music in general, I was about six years old. And... My father had this really old record player. Uh, and after about 10 minutes, one of the speakers used to fizzle out. So there was just one remaining. And, and as a small kid, I used to apparently sit in front of it for hours on end, listening to um, organ music. This there was this album, double album of organ music, uh, which my father had to keep turning over on repeat because it's not like press play and you know repeat. It's, it's not like a CD where it goes on forever. And I I think they were were probably fascinated that I liked this sound as well. And not long after that, I began piano lessons. And I I think I used to go once a week for elementary theory and piano lessons. And I think it was pretty much the highlight of my week. Um, And and then following that, I began singing in the local church choir, having some voice coaching from the choir master, um, which led to... An audition for being a chorister, um, which was, I was about eight years old at the time. So I, I did these auditions and I ended up going to uh, Christchurch Cathedral in Oxford as a chorister. And so that's that's where it kind of all began. Uh, so first study was my piano, then obviously voice was it was a given. My second study then became the French horn as a chorister, you had to have um, a second study instrument. And I was like, oh, I'm not quite sure what to choose. That's, so, the, so the the head of music said, well, let's have a look in the cupboard, see what the school has, you know, what instruments we have in stock. And I was this French one, I thought, yeah, that's a really cool instrument, let's have a go at that. So, so uh, cut a long story short, I spent probably more time cleaning it than playing it because it sounded terrible. Um, I struggled on for about a year. And then I I put it aside and I said, I'm really sorry. I I don't think I'm getting on with that very well. Meanwhile, practicing the piano a lot. And then the following term, the music master came and said, I'm very sorry, but you have to choose another instrument. That's that's what you have to do. And he said, here's a book. He gave me a book of all the orchestral instruments. He said, just choose one. So I I went through the book very slowly. And I put my finger on this instrument which happened to be the cello and I said I'd like to play the cello and that's how it all started.
0: When you had first chosen the cello it was through a book and not through actual oral experiences of having heard the sound, fallen in love with the sound or seeing a concert.
1: That's right and I think it's fair to say that all of this came much later because cello remained my second study until I was 16 years of age and before that even I uh, took on a third study, which was the organ. So the cello sort of really sort of caught fire when I was 16. Where I had to sit down with my careers officer at school. And they said, right, so what's it going to be? What are you going to do? What subjects would you like to choose? And so I, I was at this point, I was like, well, I, I really want to do cello. I just want to do music, but I really want to play the cello. That's all I really wanted to do. Um, and that's really what it was. I was so fascinated and I was uh, felt so much more passionate about the creation of sound in that way.
0: And of course, classical music requires tremendous intensity, focus and rigor. It can take a toll on the psyche, on one's sense of confidence, self-worth, competence and individuality. What kept you going through the more trying times, Ben?
1: Well, it has to be said that I had some rather wonderful teachers, very supportive teachers, um, whose resources I could actually rely on in those times uh, as a source of inspiration, I guess. But it's that idea of really digging deep and having a, a deep sort of faith in yourself that it will turn out okay. When when you go into a period of intensive study on, on an instrument, I think... Um, you should be aware that there are going to be some bumpy rides along the way. And even acknowledging that you may be going through a rough time, knowing that you'll come out the other side somehow is, um, you know, really uh, heartening. Confidence and self-doubt is something that we all can relate to and, and I think we all experience along the way. I personally... Find that in times of drought, i.e., feeling a little bit flat or uninspired, uh, crave a live concert or or a live music experience, and that is actually the first thing that I do if I if I feel that I need to be inspired um, onto the the next phase, I guess, of of my musical creative life. London is a thriving musical centre and is sometimes very hard to choose what to to go in here or see. I personally um, get a lot of inspiration from from art galleries, actually, um, because you can just spend your time looking and you can see other people's creations and how they might have come about it. Um, And I think that's where the art truly meets in terms of its... uh, birth if you like
0: yes and it's it's interesting that you talk about the visual arts because one of the pieces that we're going to speak about the the Bach D minor suite has often been folded in with conversations surrounding architecture for example um and design and Bach himself is often considered an incredible musical architect can you speak a bit about Johanna Sebastian Bach and the D minor cello suite in particular
1: sure um J.S. Bach, he was, he was born in Eisenach, uh, which is a small town in Turingen, Germany, into a dynasty of musicians. Bach's output included the famous six cello suites, and one of the suites I would like to talk a little bit about is the second suite in D minor. The Prelude is a movement that has the most freedom in the suite. The other movements are dance-like in their form, although they were probably never intended to be danced to. Hearing them, you can easily find a fluidity of movement and direction through them. The prelude starts with a simple statement of a, a D minor triad, and the melodic movement is a bit like a pendulum, which swings from side to side around that tonic of D. many expressive qualities to the movement uh, with the use of diminished intervals and expansion of distances between notes i.e. from a really low register up to a high register and that progresses throughout the movement. The use of rising and falling sequences help build harmonically the tension and the expressive climax of the movement happens towards the end of the first part of this movement, and the second part uh, becomes more inward looking and ends with a short coda, finishing with five simple chords getting back to the D minor key. the overall fascinating things about the Bach suites is that they contain a lot of silent implied harmonies and voices and this takes years of discovery and detective work to gain a deeper understanding and i'm i'm still discovering new things every time i get the music out which is really exciting
0: Ben, I was really fascinated by one of our earlier discussions where you said that you made a jazz improvisation on this suite and that you find this suite particularly conducive to those kinds of improvisations. Can you speak briefly about that?
1: Yes, that's right. I mean, it was it was purely... Actually, it was one of these moments where practice wasn't going so well and I figured that I needed to have a little bit of fun. <laughs> so... I started to play around with actually with the original text, maybe a few additions here and there, but I I changed the rhythm, uh, and, the, and the timing, and turned it in, into slightly slightly bluesy kind of style, and the way it's written actually with diminished you know D minor and some of the diminished intervals it works perfectly for a kind of a jazz version. I, I absolutely love listening to jazz, whether it's trad jazz or a more modern form of jazz. Charlie Parker, Charles Mingus were certainly influences in my 20s, I guess, even. Uh, I really got into their, their music. Uh, and early 1920s, New York-style jazz, I, I was really fascinated by in my 30s.
0: <laughs> well, and I love this idea that by jazzifying Bach, that... These, these moments of inspiration often come through reconnecting with community, being immersed in, in a live concert, staying connected with closely aligned genres. I think you were mentioning earlier, it's all music in the end.
1: Absolutely. And I think by morphing into a different style, that's where you uh, feel the essence of more freedom. Despite learning something in a traditional classically, classical way, which which I did, um, this breaks down some of these barriers and actually gets you to think, actually it doesn't have to be just one way. There are other ways and other options. And that's one thing I wanted to just comment on. That if I may compare a, a, a sort of traditionally classical approach to the, the Bach D minor suite versus the uh, jazz version, is that the way you can harmonize and reharmonize harmonize something um, and what effect that actually has on the melodic content is quite extraordinary.
0: So Ben, I, I, I want to ask a question by first addressing an assumption about classical music, so you're free to challenge this assumption, but classical music in general is not popular. uh, And it's not popular by its design and intent, but it's also just not popular in the most literal sense of the word. And so uh, many musicians, students, uh, have this feeling that they are encompassed in this very intense but small world. Um, do you have any theories as to why it doesn't have perhaps a broader appeal?
1: That's an interesting question, Eugene. I think a lot has to do with context in a way. And I've experienced so many different kinds of music, uh, which has been absolutely wonderful. And, and I'm always experiencing something new. I make that something for me to do, say, on a a rainy weekend, I'll think, I want to listen to something I know nothing about and I have never heard before. And I'll give something a try. And it doesn't always work out, but sometimes I'm pleasantly surprised. And then I sort of get very hooked on listening to something for a a whole week or (laughs) something like that. Um, But I I think... um, it's, music is an essential part of life, and you know, we eat for nutrition. And I think music is the food of the soul, whether it be classical, jazz, rock, R and B, gospel, grime, or country. You know, I believe we are all moved by music in some way. And I think, I think there has been a huge, a huge amount of progress in making at least classical music much more accessible, and interesting to uh, many generations and I think the education part of it is where it all really starts and that's what we really have to look to in the future. I think it's important to say that you don't have to be good at music or even play an instrument to love music or really enjoy it. I think you know this should be something for absolutely everyone.
0: And we've spoken of course about classical music's historical nature about uh, classical music's present moment. Um, let's zip forward, perhaps, in talking about the future. We are recording this during a time of the pandemic. Um, post-pandemic, Ben, what do you personally look most forward to in in shaping the narrative of classical music?
1: Sure. Well, first of all, I'd like to you know, just state the obvious that you know this year has been an exceptionally challenging one for everyone and has taken us all by surprise. Uh, For me, it has been one where I realised that I can't live my life without music. It has been music that has gotten me through the darkest moments of this pandemic, both by playing and listening. I'm hopeful in the coming years that the arts will be able to get back on its feet again and opening doors to an exciting future. We can take this opportunity to make music even more accessible to everyone and celebrate the vast history and styles of music that we're fortunate to have spanning many centuries. Imagining projects which combine old and new so that people can see the act, the, the real connection between new and old is, is really fascinating. Because I think, as you said previously, people have a bit too much of a preconception about classical music that it's a little bit dry and maybe stale. But I think on the contrary, I recently played Continuo in a Bach Violin Concerto and I have never felt so fresh and alive playing this music which is hundreds of years old and that's pretty incredible to say that I sometimes sit and wonder what Mozart would have said if he'd had all this equipment around him what he would have done (laughs) it's uh, it's something I think about all the time and I think that we can embrace the technology in in a very positive way. And at the same time, remember how little technology was around when they were writing this music. And that is very powerful, I think, especially going back, let's go back to Bach, for example, uh, and the, his compositions, which I find so earthy and uh, so grounded and I guess growing up in the environment of, of a cathedral as a chorister hearing Bach's organ music pretty much every week in some form or another the the pillars and the strength of his composition and harmony I see in the fabric of these amazing buildings and I'm sure that's no accident. So you're mixing art, spiritual, music. It's a very powerful combination.
0: Ben, it's been wonderful to hear about your musical biography. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and sharing them so generously. Thank you for tuning in to APO's Soundbites. If you enjoyed the episode, please share and tell your friends. More information about APO can be found on their website, rphil.org, arphil.org, A-R-P-H-I-L as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Please join us again next time for more explorations in the rich world of classical music.